Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, everyone. This is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. men's national team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life, while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger. And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Understand, I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And I've got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. What I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Welcome to House of Champions. We are talking about the team that just keeps giving us stories. I can't remember a more exciting, a more debated, a more baffling team that are in 10th place in the Premier League and have scored fewer goals than Erling Haaland. Um, Normally, they're not the teams we talk about a lot, but this is no normal Chelsea team and no normal Chelsea season. To break that down, we have Elizabeth Hellenic, a Chelsea expert. She's joining myself and Mike Lahoud on House of Champions, which begins right now. Elizabeth, first of all, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, are you looking forward to, do you enjoy talking about Chelsea at the moment? I mean, there's lots to talk about, isn't there? There is a lot to talk about. And I know we're in 10, the, the games haven't been the best, but there is a lot of exciting stuff happening about Chelsea as well. And I know we're going to get into all of that. So honestly, I'm super happy to be here. Big fans of you both and just excited to chat with you guys. And Mike, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Uh, I, I just feel more rested. I've, I've channeled all my questions, all my my thoughtfulness into pestering Chelsea and Chelsea FC fans. But Elizabeth, really, really looking forward to having you on the show today. I'm glad one of you feels rested. Uh, it's been a it's been a stressful morning, but the key thing is we got those Beyonce tickets, so we move. <laughs> hey, we move. We move. Um, I was there on Friday night, Elizabeth. I don't know if you were. I'm sure you were watching on, and I know Mike, you were too. Um, I don't know why anyone would be watching on. Uh, Chelsea nil, Fulham nil. Uh, a sixth game with a Chelsea debutant this time, Enzo Fernandez. 
a uh, a pretty dull game, one enlivened by off-field controversy in the form of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang being dropped from the uh, Champions League squad. And I think when that news came, Elizabeth, I don't know about you, but I, I just knew that Chelsea weren't going to score a goal tonight. Uh, obviously, David Datra-Fafana went close. Uh, Kai Havertz also played football. Um, <laughs> so did Raheem Sterling, Noni Madueke, and so many forward talents. But... Um, that, I thought, was a game that kind of encapsulated Chelsea under Graham Potter, really, didn't it? There was lots of things you could sort of say, oh, in, in three or four months' time, this could be really good. The defence looked all right. Uh, and you could sort of see building blocks. But it also, I don't know about you, it just felt like, and, you know, we can blow this up to talk big picture or you can talk small picture. It just felt like it was a reminder how far Chelsea have to go. Yeah, and for me, like you said, it's taking it piece by piece. Chelsea had been conceding quite a few goals. Now we're starting to see that with the addition of Benoit Badiashil, they're starting to keep clean sheets again. And now it's about trying to keep the clean sheets, but to get the attack firing. They did have a couple of good opportunities. Kai Havertz had an opportunity. Um, Fofana had an opportunity. Enzo Fernandez actually wasn't far off from a shot outside of the box as well. And it was one of those games where you had all of these half chances and you said well you need a little bit of luck in this game and Chelsea just didn't have it but I think the thing for me is that you have all of these new signings you have a ton of new players almost an entire new dressing room basically and it's just going to take time to gel and to gain that chemistry and you can see that the chemistry was a bit disjointed Mudrick was making runs but nobody was picking him out so I think with time, hopefully we're going to see that chemistry build and have that, that you know, come together and see Chelsea start scoring goals because they do have a lot of attacking talent and they all had really good glimpses, but just nothing came mm-hmm. off 100%. Um, sticking with that topic of Mikhail Mudrik, lauded player, lot of potential, sought after by both London clubs, Chelsea and Arsenal, obviously getting the signature with Chelsea. What were your thoughts on him seeing him at Stanford Bridge? Yeah, I thought that he didn't have the best of performances, but it turns out that he did have a heavy cold. So I think that that went a lot into it. Uh, versus Liverpool, I thought that he was brilliant in the little cameo that he made. Registering the, the yeah, <laughs> draws a yellow right away and then registering the fastest speed in the Premier League in just a couple of minutes. Um Versus Fulham, I just thought that him and Mason Mount were occupying very similar spaces. Also, Modric is best when he's on the ball and Chelsea weren't picking him out and he wasn't getting on the ball as much. When you have Kukurea, he wasn't overlapping as much on that left-hand side. So I think when Ben Chilwell is up to full fitness, we're going to see the best of Modric come out. Elizabeth, just I mean, we don't, we don't want to sort of just fire questions at you, but you <laughs> mentioned Mason Mount there. I think maybe a year ago, he would probably have held a similar status at Chelsea that a Marcus Rashford holds at Manchester United, Phil Foden at uh, Man City, or, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold say, you know, the homegrown, the the, the four foundational piece uh, and a guy that every fan loves. Now, Chelsea Twitter is a strange and, and angry <laughs> place right now. But, um, you know, I always think that, that fans in general are more forgiving of their of their homegrown players. And yet with Mason Mount, but it both seems he can't do anything right. And to be fair mm-hmm. to his critics, he has not been kind of the player of past years. The goals have kind of dried up. The assists have definitely dried up. He seems a bit heavy on the ball. Seems a bit like he doesn't quite know what his perfect role is. 
what's kind of your assessment on where he's at? Yeah, it's a tough one. And Mason Mount, I think, is a fantastic player. He was Chelsea's player of the season for two years in a row. But I look at the sheer amount of games that Chelsea have played. I think across Europe's top five leagues, they have almost the most or second they're up there with the most games played and that's really taking a toll on Mason Mount and he's one of the players that is a starter really under any manager he was a starter for England as well so I think that he just looks a bit lethargic at this point in time uh I don't he's also used all across the front line so he's never consistently in the same spot and it just looks like He's putting a lot of pressure on himself because he cares a lot. He loves Chelsea. This is his club. But the things just aren't coming off for him right now. So I think he hasn't been having his best performances. He knows that. And I think that perhaps Graham Potter needs to take him out of the limelight a little bit and give him a chance to rest, recoup, and then bring him back into the side. I mean, there's a lot of people with a, a lot of views on Graham Potter. My fellow Sil Hillian, yeah, he's from Solihull in the West Midlands. I think he and I... And Lizo from Newsround, uh, UK fans might know who I'm re- referencing there, uh, the most famous people to come out of Solihull. And I think it has to be said, and it was interesting, Gary Neville made this point before the Chelsea-Fulham game where he said he couldn't think of a manager that would normally curry much sympathy for having had £600 million <laughs> spent on new players. But that there was a, a degree, he felt a degree of sympathy for Graham Potter. He had kind of come from this environment that had been so carefully crafted over um several years at brighton uh, and i think he, i personally think he's a fantastic coach yeah um i really believe that he is you know he is someone that merits time and we've seen at swansea at Ostersons, and at brighton that when he gets that time things will turn around his players love him but you know it is a little bit a case of into the lion's den with graham potter isn't it mike a real challenge how do you think he's rising to that as a coach and do you think this is going to be a job that he can, is it, is this job going to be beyond him? It is the hardest job in football. He said that himself. Yeah. Is he going to find it's beyond him? I think there's a bit of stability that's coming his way. The fact that the January transfer window is shut, the fact that the pressure of getting signings, and I think the stability above him is what's necessary at Chelsea Football Club. Todd Bowley doing the business, and I'm curious what happens with a sporting director and that void that's been there since Thomas Tuchel got sacked and Graham Potter came in. As a manager in the modern game, you need that so you can focus on getting your philosophy in. This is a manager that still doesn't know if he wants to play a back four or a back three in big games we've seen in the champions league where he's played a back three could he with a fully fit squad ben chilwell coming back fully fit reese james coming back fully fit who a year ago up until the injury is one of the best outside backs in the entire premier league and arguably in the world and especially for england those are positives for Graham potter and he's getting the young players that he's used to and actually better players than he's used to when he had at Brighton. He is a, he's a manager that I think succeeds with young players because he can implement his philosophy even more than established players. Yeah, and just to jump in there, I think Chelsea have been really unlucky this season. I I personally have never witnessed a season where you have 9, 10, 11 players out at any given time. And those players being your first team players and your arguably best players, like Mike was saying, and Reese James, Ben Chihuahua, Nagola Kante, when he's fit, he completely changes the game. Um, and so I think that it's just going to take time. We saw with Arteta when he came to Arsenal, they weren't doing so hot at the beginning. 
thing. They finished in eighth, then eighth again, then fifth, and now they're flying. So it's not something that I think is going to happen overnight as much as we want it to. And even though Chelsea have spent 600 million, I also look at the transfer window. A lot of the signings that they were that were brought in over the summer were signings for Thomas Tuchel and then he got sacked. So Graham Potter is left with signings that were brought under a, t- a ton of different managers under Lampard, sorry. Um, now Thomas Tuchel and Tony Conte as well. So I think looking at Chelsea, he has some time, he has some stability, like Mike was saying. Todd Bowley and co. have said that they're going to give him time. They believe Graham Potter is their guy. And it's going to take a year or two for him to kind of clear out. But I think the thing with Chelsea is that Todd Bowley has done about three years' work of rebuilding in terms of buying players in essentially one window. And maybe Chelsea need to get a DM at this point. But other than that, their squad is pretty full. So I think in the summer, they're going to be looking to selling a lot of players and then having a full preseason in order to train and build with the team. And hopefully we'll see next season, the fruit of that labor start to come to fruition. Yeah, it's interesting talking about the rebuilding. I do think to an extent that actually, and if you want to be critical of of Bowley, and and I'm certain there are plenty of people that do, one of the criticisms you might make is the first part of the, the, the squad reset he's done here is pretty much resetting the squad reset he did uh, in the summer, we've seen Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and we're going to come on to to talk about him. I know, Mike, you want to talk about Hakim Ziyech as well. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll come on to talk about him, a player that nearly went in midweek and then was playing on Friday. I mean, but also Raheem Sterling, let's be frank, he doesn't look like a starter if you spent £100 million on Mikhailo Mudrik. Um, similar with, I mean, to an extent, I think the Benoit Badia Shield signing, I was told, was was more one for the long term. But he's played so well and... And Kaladu Koulibaly has played so poorly that you've got a lot of veteran players that weren't part of this new Chelsea blueprint that are going to be sat on the bench earning exorbitant wages. And um, I think that's going to be a little bit of a problem. Look, every Chelsea manager, every Chelsea owner has found themselves having to try and get out from big money, expensive contract paid to to veterans. So uh, at least Todd Bowley's going to be getting the real Chelsea experience in that regard and uh, a few more Bakayoko-style players in the squad. But go on, Mike, you wanted to talk about Hakim Ziyech. Yeah, yeah, Elizabeth, I'm a big fan of African players. And Hakim Ziyech, the World Cup run with Morocco, really looked more like the Ziyech we've seen of old. The transfer debacle, I've been so interested. We had Fabrizio Romano on uh, during the deadline day to give us a little bit of insight. But being part of the Chelsea insider, what happened and how was it for him, for a club player, to have your transfer fold like that when you're on the cusp of a move to PSG? How was it having him back on the field in London? Yeah, so what happened? I I was shocked when I saw this news breaking because I thought for sure Hakim Ziyech was on his loan for PSG and uh it's been reported throughout the window that Chelsea would have been happy to let him leave on loan. Um, and apparently PSG are saying the paperwork didn't get properly filled out. Chelsea are saying that there was a technology issue. I don't know if we're ever going to know the truth about that. But I was quite surprised, to be honest, that Graham Potter started Hakim Ziyech against Fulham, given everything that happened, because it was reported that he, of course, was not in a great headspace. He was very disappointed and who could blame him? He was in PSG having his medical and for that to fall through, that's 
really a crappy situation. Um, so I had question marks over that. And verse Fulham, I didn't think that Hakeem Ziyech had his best performance. Again, I can't blame him. Um, and I don't know how he's going to react. He's obviously a professional. And if he wants to move in the summer, he's going to want to put in good performances to justify that. But it's a really tough situation. And I definitely feel for him. That's one of the the big outgoing transfers that that didn't happen, and I'm I'm think there's going to be quite a lot. Christian Pulisic, I'm looking at you. Quite a lot of players who <laughs> are going bench, in the summer, bench. and let's be frank, going at great prices. If you're the buyer and you know that your seller has to uh, has to sell a few players, but let's briefly before we go to the break, let's briefly hit on some of the new arrivals. And Mike, I want to I want to ask you about Enzo Fernandez. Mm. Um, rave reviews, rave reviews. Again, Elizabeth, I was on. Chelsea Twitter. I think I was on your Twitter as well. <laughs> Everyone was very impressed with Enzo Fernandez. And I love things I loved about him, I have to say. Yeah. I loved a player that could get absolutely bullied by Alexandra Mitrovic, get hurled to the deck <laughs> yeah, at the first that. corner. And his response to it was, Give me Mitro at every corner. It was bizarre, this sort of <laughs> running man, man marking battle where Enzo, who looks like a, a bit of a pipsqueak. Um, is chasing Alexander Mitrovic, the, the Premier League's most bruising striker. And I thought he came out of it well. In passing terms, I thought he was a little bit like Jorginho having a good game. And I wonder if that's what you spent £100 million for. Mike, give me your thoughts and then, Elizabeth, if you want to jump in on, on Enzo. <laughs> Yeah, it was always going to be a difficult ask for Enzo Fernandez. Whenever you get a, a record transfer to the Premier League, uh, regardless of any league, all eyes are going to be on you. There's going to be lots of scrutiny. I think as the game went on, he started showing more of the Enzo Fernandez that was at Benfica and really more of the Fernandez that Chelsea paid the big money for with Argentina. He's a player who's not an out-and-out -out defensive midfielder. I think he actually will end up pairing very well with N'Golo Kante whenever he gets fit. You can see his ability to cover ground, and when Chelsea figure out their best attack, he's a player that needs runners off the ball. He's got more of a better passing range, forward passing range, than I think Jorginho has. He's not as much of a tempo setter as Jorginho, but I think if Graham Potter gets a better chemistry around him and, and players who want to make runs in behind, I think chemistry between him and Mikalo Mudrik as that partnership and understanding builds. I think that could be something positive for Chelsea. And in the end, I was surprised um, that it took him as long as it did, but I was also surprised at how flat Chelsea came out for the entirety of that game. So I wouldn't put too much on Enzo overall in this match. Yeah, and just to add to that, um, I've done a lot of research on Enzo Fernandez in the building to him <laughs> coming to Chelsea. And I had I spoke to a Benfica fan who has watched him extensively, and basically what he told me was Enzo Fernandez plays his best when he's operating more of an eight with a defensive midfielder decide beside him. So somebody like an N'Golo Kante, maybe Sicario when he's fit as well. Uh, so he was actually, he can play in the six, he can play in that position, but it's not his best position. And so I think that we're going to see more of um, his attacking prowess when we have somebody defensively minded next to him. But I, I actually thought that he had a really good game. He completed six out of seven long balls, which is something mm -hmm. that you don't really see from Chelsea. You don't really see those diagonal switches so much, maybe from Thiago Silva. But other than that, we don't. And there really are a lot of them out to Reese James so as well, which suggests yes, he's yes. like quickly realized that 
the best tactic in this Chelsea team is give the ball to Reese James. Give the ball to Reese James and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I think that like Mike was saying, it once once he starts building that partnership, it's only going to grow and get better. But I thought that it was a strong performance from him, and you can already see how creative he is, and he's a bit of a playmaker. And you mentioned Jorginho. I do think Jorginho has that in him, but he didn't do it as frequently as I think that Enzo is, and I think he's also going to move the ball a little bit quicker as well. Yeah, I mean, certainly there are, there are games when Jorginho moves the ball at, at glacial pace. Like, you're aware he's, it's like watching an iceberg. In theory, the ball is moving. You just can't, like, it's not observable to the naked eye. I, I love the idea, though, of, I mean, I think you kind of almost have to think of Kante as, like, yeah. when he plays, that's lovely. But he won't often. But Zakaria, who has been mm. um, one of the bizarre, a great story of, of couldn't get a game, until there was literally no one else fit. And now, every time I've seen him over the last few weeks, he looks like yeah, looks decent, yeah. the, the player that everyone wanted to sign. So I think it would be, I, I'd love to see those two together. Uh, hopefully he can he can get fit as well. So And that would be a big boost. Right, after the break, we're going to talk about Chelsea's Champions League tie against Dortmund, measuring success for a season that is probably not going to end in a trophy and uh, asking when those trophies might come. So mm-hmm. do stay tuned after the break for lots more Chelsea chat. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Don't miss out on any of the Serie A action. Follow some of the biggest stars in the sport like Olivier Giroud, Rafael Leao and Lautaro Martinez as they try to lead their teams to the Scudetto. How will the table change going forward? Which club has the best chance of winning it all? Which clubs have the most to lose? Find all the answers and stream every match from Italy's top soccer league live only on Paramount+. Plus. Try one month free today with promo code Serie A. And if you put that promo code in, you'll be getting loads of Champions League football as well, including Chelsea's tie, which starts on February the 15th, away to Borussia Dortmund. Um, I'm, I would say I'm looking forward to it. I realise it's also the same night as the top of the table Premier League clash between Arsenal and Man City. So um, I'll probably be watching the highlights of this one. But it, it's, a, it's a huge clash and it's a clash where um, the narrative angles on this are vanishing extremely quickly 
Um, Mike, I know we probably would have been expecting to talk about Christian Pulisic. He will, of course, be out injured um, for at least the first leg expected back in March. And realistically, will we see much of him? But then we obviously, we knew we'd have the fullback option of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, the man who was one of the greatest strikers in Europe, one of the greatest strikers in the world during his time at Borussia Dortmund. He was going to be going back there with a point to prove. That will not happen. News broke on Friday night that Aubameyang was the one to make, where we knew one player would have to be left out of the Champions League squad to make room yeah. for all these summer si- uh, January signings. We should add that not all of the January signings could be added. So Enzo Fernandez, Joao Felix and um, Mikhailo Mudrik have been added to the squad. Not Badia Shiel. I think with Joao Felix, you've yeah. got to do it, haven't you? You're yeah. paying this person that much money or you're paying Atletico Madrid that much money for the <laughs> loans. And you've got so few games out of him with him having got a red card in his debut that like, <laughs> get your money's worth out of this guy. Um, <laughs> That meant no Aubameyang. I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, wrong, Elizabeth, I don't think he was the one that Chelsea fans expected. And certainly from my own reporting, um, speaking to people that that know Oba, it was a real surprise to them as well. Came out of the blue. Uh, people that, you know, sources around the, the situation kind of noted to me. The one person you would think they wouldn't drop from the squad would be the, the number nine. He may not have been in great form. Three goals since joining. But... Um, the player that, you know, if you need to throw a player on in the last few minutes of a Champions League tie, it's probably going to be a striker, isn't it? Not Wesley Fofana, who's injured, or Kante, who's injured, or Pulisic, ah. who's out injured. So an awful lot of missing players. Um, by all accounts, Aubameyang, who has had disciplinary issues in the past, and Potter said this, and, you know, my reporting says the same thing, that he's not been an, a problem beforehand. He's not been a nuisance. So, Mike... um, how would you react in, in Oba's situation? It, it's so unprecedented for a manager who was a player who was signed to play for one manager that Chelsea were already thinking of sacking that has given a lot to this game and uh, really does find in himself on the peripheries of this Chelsea squad and, and possibly looking at an exit. Well, if he was on the periphery before this decision, he's fully out. <laughs> if I'm in this situation, I'm phoning my agent, I'm phoning my family and I'm saying we're getting the hell out of London, we're getting the hell out of the club because it's one thing to be put on the bench. It's another thing to have a manager that brought you in and Thomas Tuchel and a new manager comes in, new ownership comes in and you're you're brought in to be the main man. And it happens to footballers all around the world of, hey, you know what? You're not in form. You're not living up to the billing. You're on the bench. But to be left out of the squad in a competition that you've been successful in when you've played for previous clubs, to be left out of the squad when you're playing against a former club in Borussia Dortmund where you've had success, that one stings, and that would that for me as a player would be the one that breaks the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, and I would be looking to move elsewhere as soon as possible. Yeah, and just to just to jump in there um, and give my thoughts, I was honestly surprised about this. Like you mentioned, I didn't think that Aubameyang was going to be the name that was dropped, and he really hasn't been playing so much for Chelsea. So just to echo Mike, I do think that perhaps we're going to see him leave. I saw him linked to I think LA Galaxy mm-hmm. in the MLS, um, but it just seems that he's not on Potter's radar. Even when he's on the bench, he rarely comes on and makes an appearance. He hasn't been in good form and it just seems like an overall kind of strange signing because he was brought in under Tuchel and then Tuchel got sacked like a week later um so it just hasn't worked out for him unfortunately but of course he's um I still think that he's a super talented player and has something to offer 
Do you think from a, a Chelsea fan perspective that the fact he was so associated with Arsenal, did that make it more difficult? Did that make it more difficult for him to win win supporters over? I mean, equally, we you know, we know that Arsenal fans have a very mixed relationship with the players that have come in from Chelsea. I, I wonder if it works in the opposite direction. No, I mean, you've you, we've had a lot of players that have gone to Arsenal, a lot of players that come, have come from Arsenal, says Fabregas, Chelsea fans love him, yeah. Olivier Giroud, he's a cult hero as well. Um, so really, there's a great relationship, I think, with players having played for Arsenal and then coming to Chelsea and winning trophies. We like to make that joke. Uh, so that was kind of the ongoing thing with Aubameyang as well. So it was never an issue. I personally was excited because I know that he can bang in the goals and that's something that Chelsea have desperately needed. But for some reason, it just hasn't quite worked out at Chelsea. A uh, quick Is- question for both of you, James. Sorry to jump in. Uh, given where Chelsea are now, they've got this young talent and big group of players that have come in just overnight. And you mentioned this about prospects of Champions League soccer next season. Excuse me, football. This is House of Champions. Excuse my blushes. Football <laughs> next year. Question for both of you. Do you think Chelsea qualify for the Champions League? Is there hope or is it a foregone conclusion and you look towards next year? No. Elizabeth, do you want to answer it in more depth? But the answer is no. I'll answer it in more depth. (laughs) Well, uh, Chelsea are 10 points off of fourth uh, of Newcastle right now. They have four draws in their last five games. Is it possible? Perhaps. Is it likely? I don't think so. Uh, I think that Chelsea would have to go on this incredible run of form, which we haven't seen them quite take off just yet. And they'd also be relying on opponents to drop points. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, but 10 points is a really big gap to close. So I would be very surprised if we got Champions League football next year. I mean, they need to start scoring goals, don't they? That that for me is the, the fundamental issue. And it's also the fundamental thing I don't see a solution to. I mean... I was really impressed with what Fafana brought off the bench. Uh, David Datro Fafana, that is. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I obviously had a fantastic chance to win it all against Fulham, but this is a guy coming from the Norwegian leagues. Raheem Sterling, it doesn't quite feel like it's clicking. Uh, I think that Chelsea could have spent that six hundred million they've spent and put all of that into getting philosophical leaders religious experts, tactical superstars, get all of them in a room and let's find out what Kai Havertz's best position is. I, I see this guy and he's like, for me, he's everything I like as a football, uh, as a footballer. He, um, he doesn't quite look like a footballer. He's a bit too tall and gangly, but he kind of combines that with this magnificent first touch and a real intelligence, a footballing intelligence. But then that's counterbalanced with um, this thing that I, I didn't think he had it at first, but there is a bit of the Timo Werners about him in that nothing more than he, you see him execute things really well, but he seems to have no confidence. It's like watching a player play with the yips. Um, (laughs) And I don't know if it's infected him, but I mean, Elizabeth, you'll remember he had this lovely lob over Burnt Leno on, on Friday night. Yeah. It was a beautiful bit of technique, but not for a moment did I get the sense he, and absolutely no one at the stadium thought that it was going in because it all just feels like no one quite believes in Kai Havertz anymore, which for the talent of the guy, I remember speaking to him at the very end of his first season. And I think it gave me a sense for why this has all been so difficult. He moved during COVID. He had COVID himself, quite a bad bout of it. 
Um, but he, he moved and couldn't really bring his family over, couldn't make friends and settle in London. I don't know to what extent that's changed, but I think when you get in a tough rhythm early on as a new signing, as a person coming to a new country, and of course, let's remember he moved from uh, from Leverkusen, which is, is many things, but it's not a, a big global metropolis. Uh, and he moved to, to London and he moved to, to, to Cobham or Surrey or wherever he lives. It's, it's a very different style of living. Um, again, Elizabeth, trying to get the fans' view on this. Is there still patience? Is there still belief that Havertz will will turn this round? And what do you think is his best position? <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, in terms of the fan perspective on him, I think that it's quite mixed. Um, a lot of people have a lot of love for Havertz, of course, for what he did in the Champions League. But I think the consensus is starting to be, okay, you did that. That was magnificent won us the champions league but what else are you going to do because he's had now three seasons in the premier league where he just hasn't quite popped off just yet and i like you said i do think that he's a really talented player i think he's lacking a little bit of confidence right now because he gets opportunities and it's just not going his way so maybe if he can start scoring goals they might start coming. I think with Joao Felix, he could develop a good partnership. So I'm excited to see that. What's his best position? I honestly couldn't tell you because we've seen him play all across the attack. We've seen him as a false nine, as an actual nine. We've seen him as an eight, as a 10 uh, on the right wing, sometimes on the left as well. And I don't feel that he's had any standout performance. I think maybe centrally he's been the best that I've seen him, but I wouldn't say that that's definitely his out and out. You do need a backup right back. (laughs) (laughs) He probably probably could, knowing him. I I agree with what you're saying, but let's go back a season ago with all the, the chaos happening at the club. It was Kai Havertz who was the one bright spot for Chelsea in attack. So I love what you said about reminding our viewers and Chelsea fans in particular that this is a guy who won you the Champions League. I look at what he did for Germany. Coming off the bench, he's not he's not an out-and-out striker. We know that. Watching him in the Bundesliga be, before he came to Chelsea Football Club, he was used as kind of this free-flowing attacking midfielder. It could flow out to the wings. When you watched him in his best season for Chelsea, he had the freedom to play underneath a striker. And no, was Romelu Lukaku brilliant in his time as Chelsea? No, that's why he's at Inter. But I think playing with an out-and-out striker, you saw him in Germany playing with full kook. And what happened? Goals went in. He's a player that needs to play off of someone and have the freedom to get him behind. The problem with that is Joao Felix is ahead of him, and he's a player that likes to have that freedom as well. Yeah, exactly. But I'm Joao Felix is also a similar type of player in the fact that he doesn't like to be the out-and-out striker. He likes to play off of a striker and have, be the one kind of in behind. But maybe they could develop a partnership and kind of play off, each, off of each other. So I think that Ooh, that's going to be that. an interesting one to watch. That would be quite fun. I'd be well up for seeing that. And I think there's probably quite a lot of time, it, it's fair to say, to experiment. I mean, I do, however, want to hit one thing on the head that you were both saying about Champions League winning goal. I just don't have any tract with that as an argument. Like Giuliano Belletti has scored a Champions League winning goal. Ooh. Doesn't mean I want yes. to count him as a as a as a great player, and I wouldn't want to give him any more patience. But I, I mean, equally, that's a little bit facetious because clearly <laughs> there's a huge amount of talent with Havertz, which he delivered on the biggest stage, but very much struggles too uh, in the in the middling games. M- let's be frank, though, middling games. That's what's ahead of Chelsea out of both domestic cups, thanks to pesky Manchester City. 
mid-table in the Premier League, you know, Mike, you asked the question, this may be it for the Champions League. Elizabeth, what are the hopes and expectations? Are we looking at this as a, a development season? Do Chelsea fans believe that they could win the Champions League? I mean, I'll, you won't need reminding, but some people will, our, our listeners might, that um, although things weren't quite this bad when Thomas Tuchel came in, absolutely no one had them pegged for Champions League winners that season. So does that, you know, is there a scintilla of hope there that that might be the the, the thing for the season? Um, a lot of people, you know, make that comparison. Like both times that we've won the Champions League, we didn't have a good season in the Premier League and then we went on to win the Champions League. So I think you'll find some people that will definitely say, yeah, it's a possibility for me. I think the recent performances, I, I just... I, I don't know. Um, I think that it would be way far out there because there's a lot of teams in Europe that are having much better seasons than we are. And like you said, Chelsea haven't been scoring goals. so They really need to sort that problem out first. In terms of how I see Chelsea going forward, I think that in recent years, we've been used to this instant gratification of, okay, we bring in a new manager, we win a trophy, He's not performing well. We sack him. We bring him somebody else who's going to win a trophy. And I think what Todd Bowley and co are doing is saying, okay, this isn't functional for the long term. Let's find a way that we can make Chelsea this powerhouse over the next five, 10 years and invest in that. So at least for me personally, what I can speak on is I'm more than happy to have a year or two of transition in order to hopefully see Chelsea a challenge for the Premier League again, which is something that we haven't done in seven, eight years, if I'm doing my math right, to see them challenging consistently for the Champions League. And so I do think that it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. I don't necessarily see us winning a trophy this season, but I think next season, hopefully we can start to see the building blocks come together and start putting together something truly special. Elizabeth, final question for me. Let, let's put our imaginary hats on. You wake up tomorrow and you are now the sporting director of Chelsea Football Club. You know you need a number nine. Who are you going for in the next window? Oh, God. I I don't I don't know, Mike. Like Chelsea haven't had the the best of luck with number nines, as you know. We've had a bit of a curse. I saw shout for awesome. I I'm, I don't think I'm pronouncing his name right. Awesome man. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm a little nervous with the strikers from Serie A, to be honest with you. But I think that that could honestly be a shout. We also do have Nkuku coming in from RB Leipzig. He's not an out-and-out number nine, but I think that he's also going to be help, uh, helping with the attacking threat in the summer as well. Um, so that's basically where I stand. I think Chelsea have a lot of attackers uh, come next season, and it'll just be about getting them all to gain chemistry, understand one another, gel, and start scoring goals. I think that's very true. But before we think about too much about next season, I want to round things off here with three rapid-fire questions to both of you, mostly about this season, but we'll go a bit further ahead. And we'll start with, you know, my favourite. I have to bring this back to where we started. Erling Haaland still has more Premier League goals than <laughs> Chelsea. Chelsea, no doubt, will need to change that if they're to qualify for the Champions League. But uh, Liz and Mike, I'm going to start with this question. Chelsea's top scorers right now, Raheem Sterling on six goals in all competitions, hmm. Kai Havertz with six goals in all competitions, then Mount, Abamyang, and Jorginho with three. 
Who will be Chelsea's top scorer at the end of this season and how many goals will they have to their name? You go first. I don't know if we, we might take notes on this and come back yeah, to you. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really yeah. fun, actually. Um, I think I think it's going to be Mudrick. Mm. And I'm going to say, wow. let's say seven. <laughs> I'm not expecting a lot from yeah. Mason. <laughs> no. I don't think he's going to be starting so much <laughs> with the new signings. Yeah, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go with Joao Felix. I, I don't I know why. I about that. I don't know. Well, I do know why. Zero goals. Zero. Yeah, 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 yeah. You said best or worst. Oh, okay. My bad. But I, I, when I, before the red card, there were moments that I liked what I saw. And Joao Felix's ability, what Chelsea doesn't do as much from deep is shoot the ball from distance. Enzo Fernandez has a good long distance shot. And when he started shooting in that Fulham game, it gave him a completely different dynamic. I think if you get him and Joao Felix shooting from distance, I think goals will go in. Now, I think managers. Oh, go sorry, on, James, on, I, tell you uh, I was going to say, if Reese James is fit, I think he could be a mm-hmm. shout as well because he gets a goal <laughs> contribution almost every game when he when he's fit. So on, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm putting it out there. If Reese James stays fit, maybe he could be Chelsea's top goal scorer. I like that. I like that shape. But but as I roast uh, our usual host <laughs> Ian Joy whenever he doesn't predict anything, I will also have to put my neck out here. I'm going to go a bit bit left field. Even though it's hard to know if he'll start a lot of games, I think we forget how much a lot of high-level coaches keep coming back to Raheem Sterling. Mm. I think especially with Chelsea struggling to find a number nine, I think it might be him. Let's say 11 goals for Raheem Sterling. Uh, let's see how that ends for us. Des, if that proves to be right, mate, don't worry about the other oh. two, but producer Des, if that proves to be right, let's make sure that's clipped up and posted come the end of May or the end of June, whenever Chelsea season might end. Question number two, I'll come to you <laughs> first this time, Mike. Does Graham Potter reach the end of the season? I think so. I think he does. I'm not sure about the end of next season. Elizabeth? Yes, I think he does. Um, should I explain on it? <laughs> if, if you want yeah, to, yeah. by all means. Uh, I think he definitely reaches the end of the season because the board have said that... He, they are looking for a long-term project. They're no longer looking to hire and fire. And I think next season is going to be a test. But honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him past next season as well, because I think that they do have patience with him and they're going to say, OK, we understand that this is, you know, you're going to be your first full year, essentially, with the team and first full preseason. Um, so I do think that he stays. Yeah, I agree with you, Elizabeth. And actually, I think if you look at the teams that Chelsea, uh, Chelsea admire and the teams that they might be thinking these could be a blueprint, it's one of the teams you mentioned earlier, and, and Mikel Arteta, they look at, you know, look, this is a squad, that, a club that's building a young core on low wages, um, and a club that's got a manager that really prides himself on empathy and connecting with players, and maybe to an extent creating a something of a siege mentality in us versus them thing, and you know, Todd Bowley knows that those things will take time, uh, Todd Bowley and those around him. So I agree with Elizabeth. I think he'll be here at the end of this season. And barring something really disastrous and very Chelsea, I have to say he will be here at the end of next season. <laughs> Final question, and this one is further ahead. Uh, and I will do this myself first. When will Chelsea next win the Premier League title? Um, I think this might be somewhere around the 2026 period. Obviously, I don't think every single one of these young players is going to hit. I have some quite significant doubts about Mudrick and the numbers he was putting up in in Ukraine, let alone in, um, in 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 the Champions League. So I have doubts, but I think Chelsea will 
swing enough that they will build a really promising young team uh, over the next three or four years. And that means twenty when they're 24, when they're 25, they could be a pretty good team, uh, even if I don't think they'll be on the w- low wages that, that Burley thinks they will be. What about you, Elizabeth? I've gone 26, 2026. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, what year are we in now? <laughs> it's a struggle. I've asked this too early in the year. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I would say, yeah, like 2025, 2026. I don't yeah, think that it's necessarily not. going to be next season. I think it's going to take probably at least two to three years to see Chelsea getting to the best with the Premier League because the Premier League is a big season. It's not like the Champions League or Cup competition where you have to have a couple of really key games and, and you win it. You have to have good games over 38 games. Uh, so I think that that's going to be quite difficult. So I say about three years time. I'm going to go with you, Benj, on 2026 because World Cups change players' mindsets. They change players' profiles. We see one player who's in the Chelsea team, Enzo Fernandez. He made his, art, his debut for Argentina, I think, back in September. And now he has a transfer record signing. I mean, it's amazing what it can do for young players. And I think the fact that the focus and the philosophy is getting talented young players who are surpassing expectations all around Europe. This is a club that if you get a number nine, if you get a younger center back to partner with Badia Shield, you got a team that can go and do some things. Father time is always is a thing that they need time to, to connect and gel. But they're not too far off. But you got to get the right number nine and the right center back and, and maybe even the right goalkeeper if you will, down the spine to make it all connective. Elizabeth, Mike, thanks so much. That was a really great show. And thank you to everyone that's been watching along. I have to apologize to those of you that have been in the comments for not getting you involved. Um, there was some great insight there. I just was really enjoying hearing from Mike and Elizabeth. That's my uh, that's my confession there. So thanks so much for joining us. And to those of you watching, tomorrow we'll be back with a, an episode I'm really looking forward to recording with Nigel Rio Coca talking about Pathways for black coaches uh, across the game. So do please join us uh, a slightly earlier time tomorrow. I think I haven't got that right in front of me. But for now, once more, thanks to Mike. Thanks to uh, Liz. And thanks so much to you for listening to House of Champions. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And we're also available on video. Please do subscribe to us on YouTube. That's it. Thanks so much for watching and goodbye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.